0: Hello and welcome to the January installment of The Shameless Book Club. This month we read the non-fiction book from best-selling Aussie author Trent Dalton called Love Stories. For about two months, Trent sat on a busy Brisbane street corner asking more than 150 strangers for their best love stories. What sparked this idea? After the passing of his best mate's mother and, well, a global pandemic, Trent felt like we all needed to hear some love stories. Before we jump into today's episode, I have to introduce you to my
1: lovely, lovely co-hosts, Zara McDonald and Michelle Andrews. Hello. 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 I'm so
2: excited.
1: So am I. Also, so ironic that a book that was sparked by the pandemic comes about at a time when Zara is suffering from that very pandemic. Obviously, this is another remote recording, guys. Zara has the spicy cough. We are all doing this from separate rooms. But my God, I am so excited to talk about this. Yeah, it feels very fitting. (laughs) Very fitting. Very, very, very fitting.
0: I also have to acknowledge the rain. You may be able to hear as we are remote. I am sitting in a room and I'm looking outside the window and there is rain bucketing down. But I think it's quite... It's the mood. Yeah, it'll mask my tears. (laughs) I'll be crying later on. All right, guys, let's jump straight into it with a bit of an intro
1: to Trent Dalton.
0: Have you guys read his past work? Let me start with you, Mish. I have
1: indeed. His first fiction book, Boy Swallows Universe, is actually one of my favorite books of all time. I read it when I was on a holiday with Zara. We're in Byron Bay, I think, Zara. God, that was a long time ago. (laughs) A long time ago. And I was reading Boy Swallows Universe and it is one of those books where I remember particular passages and where I was when I read them because they were such like a sucker punch to the guts. He is just one of the most vivid, creative, gorgeous storytellers I've come across. So when we decided to do love stories,
2: I was so friggin' excited. It's so interesting because I have had Boys Swallows Universe sitting on my bedside table, I think – I mean, since I've lived in this apartment, so maybe a year and a half, and I maybe I've always been too nervous to pick it up because I've wanted to love it as much as everybody else does. But I have long been a fan of Trent Dalton's writing outside of his books. I adore his stuff for The Weekend Australian magazine. I don't know if you guys have read much of it, but one of my favorite pieces of all time is this piece called Here If You Need, Meet the Bayswater Boilers. And he wrote this whole profile on this netball team who have been playing together, or who played together from 1984, I think they finished in the early 2000s. And it was just about this group of women who have stuck by each other through everything and their kind of individual stories and how they've overlapped and how they've all been there for each other through the years. And there was another sort of series he did called The Street as well, which was he picked six random houses on the same street and he interviewed those people and told their stories. And for me, with that kind of backdrop coming into this book, I knew he was going to write about love very well because he's written about, it sounds so naff, but he's written so beautifully about the human spirit over the years and I've adored it. I knew I was a sucker for this. Like I (laughs) knew I was gone. What about you, Annabelle? Have you read much of his stuff?
0: Well, to be totally honest, I tried to read Boy Waller's Universe probably a couple of years ago when I wasn't the best reader, I must say. Like I hadn't read a lot. It was probably this book club that kind of re-sparked my love for reading. So when I tried to read Boy Swallows Universe, I didn't finish it because I found it a little bit difficult. And so I really didn't know what to expect from this book. But spoiler alert, I loved
1: it so, <laughs> so, so
0: much. So Zara, as you mentioned, aside from being one of Australia's most loved authors, Trent is also a very established journalist. He's won the Walkley Award twice, the Kennedy Award four times and has been awarded the National News Award Features Journalist of the Year four times. Times.
1: He's so successful. It is absolutely insane. And I think anyone who has read Boy Swallow's Universe would have a real appreciation for the success that Trent Dalton has achieved because, as he touches on in Love Stories, he did not have an easy childhood. He grew up in a really rough part of the world. He was surrounded by some really dark stuff. And I think that kind of upbringing that he experienced, that childhood, is what makes Trent Dalton's heart so big and so porous and so generous to anyone doing it tough, which was one of the absolute highlights of love stories. There are all kinds of love stories from all kinds of people and they are told without any judgment at all.
2: Yeah, and I think this book fell on my lap at the perfect time. And I I think he is clearly incredible at reading The Mood because for him, when he said in this book that he wanted to write it because there was so much darkness in the world, I really felt that. And I wanted to quickly, before we properly jump into talking about the book, (laughs) talk about his reasoning for writing it. This is on page six. It's in the, the initial letter to Kathleen that had me crying from the start. And it was when he'd been gifted the typewriter and he said, I told Greg that I would write something special on your typewriter. I said I would write something special filled with love and depth and truth and frankness and heart because you were loving and deep and true and frank and heartfelt. I said it wouldn't be cynical and glib, Kath, because I can't do cynical and glib anymore. The global market for cynical and glib has been flooded. The cynics bob up in your cornflakes, pop out of your toaster in the morning like a burnt slice of moldy tip top. Some four million people and counting are dead from a virus and hell no, I don't feel like being sarcastic. I feel like being open and true and right flipping here right flipping now the minute I read that I was like this is exactly how I feel and I imagine this is exactly how so many people feel and that's exactly why he's written this book
1: guys I'm gonna be crying so much over the next half an hour I'm I am going to struggle so please forgive me and forgive us actually (laughs) I think you two might be the same if there are tears just embrace it find like a nice little cozy spot where we can all get fucking deep and fucking emotional because that is the vibe
0: (laughs) guys, I want to talk about what surprised you from this book, because as I said before, I really didn't know what to expect. And so a lot of this book pleasantly surprised me. Zara, what surprised you from this book?
2: I think I was surprised by how quickly I burst into tears. Like I'm a huge crier. I've said that on the show many a time, but I was on holiday when I read this and I was like lying on a beach and I was just so quickly caught off guard in those first few pages about how quickly the tears just flowed out of me and straight away I was like oh my god I'm in trouble here it was that initial letter to Kath I think that I just referenced before that I found incredibly beautiful like he had this incredibly beautiful relationship with the mother of a friend and for me straight away I was like god love can exist in so many different places for this relationship to mean so much to you I mean he had this line in there that was you were so loved Kath you must have done it right life I mean you must have known the point of it all live a life so full and selfless that latecomers struggle to find a spare seat at your funeral straight away I was like this is really going to rejig my perspective and how I'm thinking about my own life at the moment because I think my focus is not quite on the right things and straight away from that point I was surprised by how quickly it was able to change my perspective what about you Mish oh god
1: I think I was surprised by how completely and utterly refreshing I found it for a heterosexual man to be so emotional and romantic. Like, it is really lovely to read a straight middle-aged man, just be like, you know what? Yes, I'm a cheeseball, which I think is the the nickname that his wife actually (laughs) used to describe Trent in her letter to him towards the end of the book. She said, you are a cheeseball, and I think that's the perfect word for it, but I wouldn't have Trent Dalton any other way. Sometimes this book for me did verge into overly saccharine territory, but I think that was also the magic of the book in many ways in that it was earnest and non-apologetic for that. And at most points, that over earnestness was also countered with some really whip-smart, funny, light humour. So uh, that took me by surprise. What about you, Annabelle? I agree with you. I really, really loved how unashamed he
0: was about being so emotional. I actually got to interview him for this episode of Book Club and he says many times about how much of a cry he is and how he just doesn't <laughs> really care. <laughs> and I love it so much. One of the things that surprised me was I mean right off the bat this book opens with a letter to Kath and that surprised me it surprised me that he kind of interspersed a bunch of letters to a bunch of different people throughout the book including the letter of from Trent's wife, Fiona, the letter to Eric at the end, the sponsor child, and also the letter to Whitney Houston. Now, the latter was my favorite simply because of this passage, which I would like to read. (laughs) So Trent wrote to Whitney. He said, when I was a kid, I used to stare at music video clips and imagine that I was the guy various female pop stars were singing about in their love songs. I wanted to be the guy that fell and was caught by Cindy Lauper time after time. I wanted to be the guy Madonna was reminded of whenever she used the word cherish. I wanted to drive away in that fast car with Tracy Chapman. I wanted to be Susanna Hoff's eternal flame. I wanted nothing to compare to me. <laughs> I just thought, Michelle, maybe you wouldn't have liked that because it was pretty cheesy. No, but I loved it so much and it was funny as
2: well. You have to lean into the, the cheesiness and the saccharine nature of the book, I think, and the earnestness if you're not willing to lean into all of it I don't think this book will be for you because I think for me when I opened this book I was expecting like very grand love stories I was expecting like movie-esque stories that would blow my mind and when he opened with the story of Helen Clark I expected the first story for him to write about to go off with a bang, but it didn't really in the nicest way possible. It wasn't a book of like unrealistic movie-esque stories. These were everyday stories and I think that's why I found them so powerful because it was like, oh yeah, I I see that all day, every day. Like this is not the stuff that's particularly hard to come by. You don't have to be especially lucky or unlucky to find yourself having these stories in your own life. Like this is just
1: everywhere. Truthfully, I think what I'm saying that sometimes it verged into being overly saccharine. One example stands out in my mind And I do not want to give this example and say that I think that Trent Dalton provided a narrow perspective on love because he did speak to so many different people from so many different communities. And I loved that about this book, that it was so broad and far-reaching. But I think sometimes when it lent into like over-sentimentality, was the story he gave about the young girl holding her father's hand crossing the street and one day that girl will hold her father's hand when she walks down the aisle to meet the man of her dreams. I just think sometimes there were references given that were a little narrow. Like, do we know that that woman woman will want to hold her father's hand to walk down an aisle to meet the man of her dreams? Like, that's quite a almost 1990s perspective on love. And I know that Trent did such a good job in other areas of the book, but I would be lying if I sat here and said there weren't moments where I read things and went, who's to say that's going to happen? Who's to say she's going to be walking towards a man? That's quite heteronormative and I wonder if any of our listeners who might be in same-sex relationships or identify as queer picked that up in this book because I am heterosexual and I felt like that at moments.
2: It's so interesting you say that because I think that's a really good example and I think this did happen from time to time but also what surprised me too when I was reading this book was how much my brain didn't want to get political about these stories. Like I really wanted to take them at face value. And I think the story that you just told is a different example because I think that's him projecting a story, not someone telling their truth. Yeah. But one example of this is there was that guy, I think there was the busker who was next to Trent and he was detailing what in any other scenario was a pretty toxic relationship. I think like this incredibly passionate relationship and in any other universe, I'd be like, mm, not sure about that. But in this context, context and in this book, I just wanted to give people the benefit of the doubt. I wanted to believe that that this guy was telling the truth when he said that like this is the woman for him and this is the relationship for him and maybe that's romanticizing things too much or maybe sometimes just very occasionally it does serve us to take someone's story or someone's truth at face value and move on. Mm. Annabelle, I have a
1: question for you. You said before that you loved the love letters in this book and I did too. I thought they were such a strength and I can see Zara's grinning because she clearly agrees with us. I want to know though, there was one letter in this book that was written to Joanie, Joni. J O N I. And it had all these references to like Joni making these rhymes when she would respond to Trent. And I'm bad with names, like I'm not good with character names, I don't remember every single person and attach them to a story when I read a book. So I reread this Joni letter so many times being like, where have I missed a drop in of a name of Joni? Who is Joni? Why are we talking about Joni? Why are they near a river? Did anyone else understand this letter? Because this was such a perplexing part of the book to me. I kept thinking about it being like, what the fuck have I missed? I was also perplexed, but now that I'm thinking about
0: it, this could be so wrong. But was he talking about Joni Mitchell? <laughs> that's the only thing I could think of. But then I'm like, why are they at the river together? Yeah. Maybe she wrote a song about a river. Are we all sounding so stupid right now? Because we're clearly not Joni
1: Mitchell fans. Maybe. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's our generational divide.
2: But even still, I think this happens with everyone when they read books. There's always something you read that you miss, and I think the more that we can make it a safe space to be like, I didn't get that, the better. I'm sure. <laughs> (laughs) Or someone will explain it to us in our DMs, though.
1: Well, guys, I just Googled it. I Googled Joni Mitchell River. She has a song (laughs) called River. And there's a lot of rhyming in it. So I imagine... Trent is speaking to a different demographic to us, who all sat there being like, what the fuck is going on?
0: (laughs) And that's okay. Another thing that I thought Trent did so well that surprised me was how seamlessly he wove multiple stories together in the one chapter, like as if they were made to be read together. And some of those stories include his own stories. He did recount a lot of his own love stories, and I wasn't expecting that. And when I first realized that he'd be interspersing these stories into the book, I was transparently unsure about how effective that would be but they were arguably some of my favorite chapters the ones where he spoke about his love with his wife theona and his father they were super super powerful
1: yeah absolutely could not agree more
0: guys before we get into a discussion on our favorite love stories it's time for a word from today's sponsor All right, Mish, Zara, there were so many stories in this book. There were dozens and dozens of stories, but I want to know which ones you guys enjoyed the most. Zara, let's start with
2: you. It's so interesting because like I could say so many of them stood out to me, but I think it's quite telling in the moment which stories you sort of like fold over and you sort of sit with a little bit longer or the stories I can remember crying immediately about. One of those stories is a story about, Ian and Lani Gibson they were like nicknamed the lovebirds by people working in retail in Brisbane they were like the older couple who would just like go on walks through the city and were clearly still very in love and there is this passage about their love story that I really wanted to read out because I adored it so much No handshakes in the Gibson household, only hugs. It is a family, not a corporation, Ian says. You shake hands with the people you work with. You hug the members of your family. Lani wraps an arm around her husband's shoulder. Sometimes I jump into bed at night and say to Ian, I still can't believe we're allowed to cuddle for eight hours. I still can't believe it. (sighs) And I was like, how beautiful that. I I think when it comes to marriage, there can be so much cynicism around about being able to love someone for a very long time. And these two have been together for about 57 years, I think. And it's really beautiful to think that you can love someone after 57 years more than ever and that they say that they would still, if they had another 57 years, still be in love. Because, again, I think we're fed so much that it's really hard to make relationships work. And I know that is true. I know there are so many things that get in the way, but it is just lovely reading someone that's like, I'm so excited to spend the next eight hours next to you sleeping. Like that's really beautiful to me.
1: Oh God, like even hearing you say that, I'm like already starting to tear up. I think one of my favorite stories about older love, like you just touched on Zara, is Love is Blindness. It was one of the very first stories told in the book about Graham and his wife, Diane, and the fact that he's never seen her. And I'm going to try and read this out without crying. I asked Graham if he's ever entertained those useless thoughts about what he'd do with five miracle minutes of clear sight, apologising at the same time for all the clumsy, clear-sighted privilege inherent in my question. "'Oh, I've thought about that a lot,' he says. He switches his walking stick to his left hand so his right hand is free to wrap around Diane's shoulders. "'What I'd like to see is my wife,' he says. "'I've never seen her.' Water wells in his eyes and Diane rests her head on his shoulder and he pushes another sentence out of his mouth while he fights back the tears. Same sentence as the last. I've never seen her. I just, like, something like that, I think, this was not even three pages long from memory. This was such a short part of the book. It was so fleeting. This would have been told in maybe 500 words total. But the simplicity that Trent Dalton told it with is so powerful. Like I, mm. I am in awe of Trent Dalton's ability to tell stories because Love is Blindness does not fill three pages in this 330-page book and yet I have been thinking about it ever since I read it. Yes, yeah, so good. I had that story
0: written down as well. I, I think that he did a really good job, Trent, in writing how like it sounds so oversimplistic and cliche but how like how powerful love can be and how it's like – so similar for all of us. It's funny you said that you had a lot of love stories about older people written down because I've just realized now that all of the stories I've written down in this in this section of our episode are love stories about older people. One I wanted to talk about was the story later on near the end of the book. This was one of my favorites because it was one of the very few stories in the book where it's facts read, kind of like unrealistic to me, but in the best way possible, like Mm. a movie, Mm. because I felt like a lot of these stories that Trent wrote about, he wrote about kind of just the regular, sometimes mundane parts of love in the most beautiful ways. So this woman in this story has had three loves in her life, Richard, Roy and Ron. (laughs) The first two sadly passed away right in the middle of their love story with Emily and Ron entered Emily's life a little bit later in life. So the passage reads... I ask Emily about finding Ron in her twilight years. Did you think you would ever find another love later on in life? And she laughs and points at Ron. Well, I call him my later Ron, she says. I found him later on. (laughs) I'm obsessed with that. It's so, so beautifully
2: unique (laughs) (laughs) it's so sweet there was another letter i wanted to read out i remember bursting into tears when i read this and i feel like it was a pretty innocuous part of the story or the whole book i should say and it was from a guy called stephen dibb and It came towards the end of the book because Stephen and Lisa had told their story to Trent and then Trent had emailed them a draft of that story and Stephen wrote him a letter after first reading that draft and I just thought this was a beautiful inclusion. Hi Trent, thank you for touching us so deeply with your writing. Let me explain. When I received your story, I was in a pub in central Queensland after a week of freezing camp at Carnarvon Gorge and a father and son camp. It was the first email I had seen all week due to no reception. I was so surprised and delighted. I'm going to start crying. I was so surprised and delighted. I started to read it aloud to my mate and the four boys. The tears streamed down my face as I got about halfway. My son... Amenti was worried as he had never seen me cry. I couldn't get through it, so at 14, without hesitation, he picked up my phone and continued to read to us with a hand on my shoulder. I guess that's another example of love. Thank you for your ability to distill emotion. I just had this image of these four teenagers, these four teenage boys, and these two men sitting in the pub in central... Queensland crying about love and I was like there are so few books in the whole world or so few conversations that could get people to do that and I was like it is incredible how this book can crack people open in that way (laughs) like that scene for me I was just like in what other world would that ever happen
1: it's so funny as well because I'm crying now that you've read that out but this book does crack people open and I think the interesting thing to me is the stories that crack you open are different for everyone like I'm hearing the stories that touched you guys and they touched me too but there were other stories that I found to be more special and more beautiful but perhaps that is the power of this book that there is something for everyone here that the story that will get you might be different person to person but stories will get you and they will teach you something and you will walk away with a new lesson on love the other story that stands out to me when I think about this brilliant book is Pictures of You, which is the story of Chris Bolton and Kerry Shepard and their son, Finn. So if anyone needs a refresher, Chris Bolton was a 50-something healthy man. He had been for a surf one day and then he decided to go buy a baby book for a couple that he knew who were freshly pregnant. And there's a passage that describes Chris on page 54 that I think is just gorgeous. Trent Dalton wrote, Chris was exactly the kind of outgoing man who kneeled when meeting children for the first time. He was exactly the kind of man who went out of his way to meet people on their level. He was kind. He was optimistic. He was enthusiastic. He was a dreamer. Chris loved community. Chris loved people. Chris loved children. That's why he was kneeling down when the heavy shopping strip awning above him collapsed suddenly. That's why the last act of Chris Walton's life was to push two boys to safety before he was killed by the crushing impact of a falling awning. I just, I was almost inconsolable when I read this story about Carrie and Chris, not just their love for each other, but their love for everyone around them. And the way that is written is just so brilliant. I I don't even have words for it.
0: Yeah, no, Trent has like a really, really incredible power of observation. I know a lot of people have said this about him and he just manages to tell people's stories in really, really sad, heartbreaking ways. But yeah, he should be really proud of what he's done.
2: I just want to quickly pick out two of my other favorite bits and then I promise we can move on because I I feel like we could be here forever, guys, because there's so much going on. There was a passage on page 74 about Ben and Sarah. Ben was the guy who would go away for long periods of time and I wanted to read this bit out. Then Ben says something beautiful about Sarah. He hopes his boys get to grow up and know something of the kind of love he feels for Sarah. He knows that's been the greatest gift of his time on Earth so far, being allowed to love someone so fully like that. He tells a story about what it feels like to leave Sarah for long periods when he travels for work on the long-journey cargo ships. The toughest mornings are the ones when he finds himself watching the sun come up after an all-night shift. That's the exact moment when he starts to think how perfect it would be to have Sarah beside him, and he sees no land, not a single suggestion of grass and dirt of home to the north, south, east or west, nothing but endless blue ocean. And that's what he gets a sense of what it would mean to be alone. But then the days pass and Ben witnesses enough sunrises on his own on the deck of that cargo ship that one morning without fail, he eventually sees a thin horizon of land again and he knows he's almost home. I was like, oh, it's, it is is one of those things where it's like when you are away from the people that you love for extended periods of time, it is that very simple thought of, God, I wish they were like right here beside me experiencing like this incredibly mundane thing, like this incredibly mundane thing. And then just quickly, the other thing that I loved was when Trent Dalton, I don't know if you remember this, spoke about how he and his wife have this secret sort of sign language to each other across the room where where he used to whisper or mouth like my left shoe because it looks like I love you. And now he just lifts his foot up whenever he sees her in a room looking at her. And I was like, I I love that people do have their own languages and their own ways of communicating love.
0: I remember that. I love that so much. And like, not to make this about me, but it made me think, fuck, I want love for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, also make it about you.
2: Isn't that what it's about?
0: (laughs) Guys, I know we've just talked a bunch about our favorite stories, but I want to know what stuck with you the most. That could be another story. It could be a lesson. Michelle, mm. what stuck with you the most?
1: I think obviously some of the stories stuck out to me so much, but I think as far as lessons are concerned, I love Robert McCully's description of his wife Julia and how, and I quote, "Love follows her around." He told Trent, "If you have a lot of love in your life, if you put a lot of love out into the world, then love follows you around." He says with a an knowing smile, "It follows it." It's so true. I mean, maybe it's a very simple lesson to walk away with that love begets love, but it is so true. We don't have a limit of love within us. It is like an a never-ending energy source that we can tap into and we can put out into the world. And I think it's a very good reminder. The more love you put out, the more comes back and the more enriched your life will be. What about you, Annabelle? The
0: lesson that stuck with me kind of came off the back of reading one of Trent's own love stories the one called the story of why I reckon my old man was not much of a hugger now I don't know if it's just me but the stories that I couldn't stop thinking about were the ones that I saw glimpses of in my own experience and with this story this passage stood out to me. If you start crying about all the things worth crying about in life, then you might never stop crying. Best not to even start. Don't start crying. Don't start hugging. Don't start feeling because you might never stop feeling. So now you know the great truth of the outer Australian suburbs, kid. Feeling is hazardous. Feeling is a one-way ticket to pain and madness. Feeling will break your heart. It was the way that this story ends with Trent's father passing away and Trent hugging him so hard in that moment that really resonated with me. Like the idea that this kind of love that doesn't necessarily consist of the most outward displays of affection, did instill great regret in Trent later on in life, which was a really heartbreaking lesson. And I want to read one more passage. It's very short. At the end of this story, he says, It seems so fucking tragic and absurd to me now, and it hurts so fucking hard to confess through the tears that fall from my eyes as I sit here on the corner of Adelaide and Albert streets, in a busy world without him in it, that the longest hug I ever shared with my dad was the one we shared when he was dead. And it just reminded me that, like, hug the people that you love. It's not that hard. And it's a beautiful thing to show people that you love. And, like, it means that you won't have to regret not hugging them later on in life.
2: Oh, that Yeah, that really stuck with me as well, to be honest. I think I agree with you when you said before, Annabelle, like, I wasn't expecting to love him telling his own story so much through it mm. because I just didn't know that much about him. But the way he wrote about his own life was exceptional. I think for me, the one thing I took away was, like, the question of what it means to live like a happy, good and fulfilled life. I think when I picked up this book, I was probably feeling very overwhelmed about things. I was probably feeling quite anxious. And I think I spent a lot of time worrying about stuff that I actually cannot control, like way too much time worrying about things I can't control. And I think there was a real peace that came over me when I was reading this book, because I was like, you can control how you love and who you love. Like You can absolutely control that. And that is the single thing that will fulfill you the most like it's such a simple equation and yet it it hasn't been the center of my mind for the last few months and I don't know why and so for me I was just like that Kathleen letter where It was her funeral and he just said you did life really well because you listened to people and you loved people. I was like maybe the equation is as simple as that. Like maybe it is as simple as that and have that at the centre of everything and you will be okay.
1: Mm, I think as well this might be a pragmatic lesson to walk away with this book holding on to but the story of the geologist who – cherishes a three-minute video of his late wife discussing taxes in America and how he showed Trent this video and said like isn't it marvelous and Trent was like it's it's just a video of a woman talking about taxes I think we can be a little snarky when we talk about documenting life like there's this idea of put your phone away and experience it in the moment but there is so much to be said for filming the people you love, for taking photos of the people you love, just like the story of Chris Walton and Kerry Shepherd, where she has a photo of him up on the fridge and balls her eyes out over it, but will never take that photo down because it's so important. The photos and videos that were spoken about in this book reminded me that do not feel shame for getting your phone out sometimes and documenting the people you adore.
0: It reminds me when you're a kid and your parents are trying to take photos of you and you're like, no, no. Now I feel like the parent in the situation. (laughs) I'm just like taking photos of everything. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think it is time to talk about ratings. God, I don't know where to start, but I'll start with you, Zara. What would you rate this
3: book?
2: you are, everyone we always start with me i swear <laughs> i will give this a five i know we've had a great streak of some good books recently and i almost feel bad about that like i almost feel like we're being too nice but truthfully the books we've been reading have been exceptional I would give this five stars. It had a huge impact on my psyche. It had a huge impact on the way I think about things. It's really shifted my perspective and I have enjoyed talking about it with you guys so, so much. And I know that this is the kind of book that I will go back and read hopefully like once a year or once every couple of years to check back in with myself. And again, it's the kind of book that I want to recommend to all my friends and all my family. Mm. Michelle, rating from you?
1: It's a tricky one because at points I adored this book. It touched me so deeply as well like it did with the two of you. At points, though, I felt like I could have gone without some of the stories that I felt like were a bit of filler and gotten more depth on the ones that I felt like finished a little too early. Like I, I was longing sometimes for a little bit longer, like to get to know these people and hear the details of their stories. So sometimes I found myself checking the page number, and I think that's a sign to me that a book isn't quite a five, However, immediately after I put down this book, I started writing my own wedding vows. So I think that says just how much it has stuck with me. So I think I will give this a 4.5. I would give Boys' Swallows Universe a 5. This would be a 4.5 and it is a bloody good book.
0: I am going to rate this book a 5. It's like nothing I've ever read before. And I think Trent is just like a masterful, masterful writer. I kind of agree with you, Michelle, though, that there were some stories that I wanted him to book more about. I know that he's like thinking of writing a sequel and it would kind of be cool, I don't think he's going to do this, if he wrote a sequel based on like the stories that he introduced in this book and like continued them on. I don't know if that's possible. (laughs) But speaking about second books and sequels of books, Trent did mention that he would love some more love story submissions. So he gave me an email address and I will put that email address in the show notes. Speaking of the interview, I'm going to play that interview for you right now. I had such a good time. He's so nice.
2: (laughs) I'm not surprised by that in the slightest. I cannot wait to hear this one, Annabelle. Oh, my God. Yes, let's play this.
0: Brent Dalton. Thank you so much for coming and chatting with me. How are you going?
3: Oh, Annabelle, I'm really well. My, um, my, we got struck by the dreaded COVID. My family, we're a house of four and three of us got it. We're well and truly out of isolation and I'm just happy as Larry. So to be talking to you, you're one of the few outside family human beings I've actually spoken to in quite some time. So it's really nice to be talking to you, Annabelle.
0: I am touched to be speaking to you then. No, it's wild the world we're in right now. Everyone's either locked down or fearing to be locked down.
3: That's it it's pretty strange and well it's the reason I wrote that book Love Stories you know it was absolutely you know it's funny you say that like maybe a year ago now or something where I was really struck by that notion it just felt unsettled you know and I felt a little bit unsettled in my head and I said remember saying to my wife and you know I just said I want to do something just beautiful and that gets out of my head.
0: Yeah totally I want to start with the author's note, because right off the bat, it had me in tears. And I must say my co-host Zara, she did give me a heads up. She read it before I did. And she said, it's going to get us cries, And it did. Oh my God. Almost instantly. I was on a plane and the tears were like seeping through my mask. But if it's okay to ask, I wanted to know what your friendship with Kath was like. Because I know she was your best mate's mum and she gifted you this Olivetti typewriter Aww. and that she was also a letter writer herself. But Aww. was there something specifically, I guess, about your friendship that compelled you to bookend this collection of beautiful love stories with letters to someone you've lost?
3: Annabelle, thank you for going there. I mean, that's that's just kind of it gives it I get moved even just thinking about her. Um, and I love that you even mentioned the author's note, the and and the idea of crying, right? I mean, my first book, Boy Swallows Universe, I'm the youngest of four boys and I'm famous for just turning on the waterworks in my family, you know, and I hated myself when I was a kid for being so emotional. And I'm 42 now and I just realised that that's living, you know. You know, like mm. weeping is living, you know, and, <laughs> and it's it's experiencing life as you should be experiencing it, you know. Never be afraid to flip and go hard with your tears, you know, and that's what that author's note was where I'm saying, thanks for everyone who opened the door on their darkness and and blinded me with their light. Like I really, that sort of author's note came at the end and I was just like, this is a book for you. You know what I mean? I wanted that to be just like, come on in. What you're about to read is a reason for all of us, all of, as you said, us criers, you know, (laughs) I mean, and I just love that you mentioned that. Kath Kelly was the most incredible inspiration and encourager of my writing. As a journalist, I've been a journo for about twenty years, and she was right there from the start, from my first works of journalism that I do for, you know, Brisbane's local paper, the Courier Mail, and and she was one of those people, Annabelle, who would just send you a little message on Saturday morning, and just say, "Oh, you got that one, you you nailed it," and and those sort of people just meant the world to me. And my old man, my dear dad, Noel, passed away twenty fifteen. You know, the man probably I love most in this world. That night, Kath Kelly sent me an email and she would just randomly send me these emails Where these beautiful kind of, you know, in the old days it would have been handwritten letters, but it was just, you know, it was all emails. On the night of the day that my dad died, she sent me the most beautiful email, which was, Trent, he's not dead when you talk about him. And I just thought that's so freaking beautiful. And then I talked about him to Kath, you know, so that was kind of what our relationship was. I'm getting emotional just talking about it but because it's really sweet and because I love her son so much and, and it's his kindness that created this book.
0: Well, it's a beautiful, beautiful book, Trent, but it's also quite incredible how, I guess, a dark situation in the death of Kath was how this book also became a source of light and comfort for so many people.
3: Oh, Annabelle, that's so lovely to hear. And, like, thanks to all your readers. Hey, thanks to your book club turning darkness into light though you talk about that I mean that's the story of my life like that's what Boy Swallows Universe was about you know that that's that's me trying to process all this stuff of people going away to prison and and drug dealers that kind of raised me when I was a boy and it's kind of what I do I feel like and I and I think I've done that in journalism for like 20 years which was turning really really dark stories and trying to find some light in them and my wife tells me that can sometimes be my flaw is that I'm looking for the light inside the dark place that comes with all sorts of problems because you're constantly looking for the good things and you're constantly sort of putting hope in places that probably, or people that maybe don't deserve it. But then, but then you're just trying to find the light. And then, you know, so I love that you say that because that's exactly what I did on that street and just sitting down for as long as possible And you know that when someone's telling a dark tale that that there is light somewhere. And that's a really good active thing to do when you're listening to anyone is to just keep finding the light. And that's sort of what I did on that corner and and it became really rewarding.
0: I think that's a superpower though, being able to find the light. But I wonder what it's like immersing yourself into every facet of these stories, the light and the dark, and what it does to... Your emotions, because as you say, you're a very experienced journalist, Trent, but I imagine that you never quite get used to the overwhelming feeling of hearing about the sadness in people's lives. With this book, you listened to 150 people's experiences (laughs) of love, but also like sometimes heartbreaking loss. Yeah, It's a big question, but like, what does that do to you? How do you navigate that emotion?
3: Uh, It's incredible, Annabelle, and it's still happening. I mean, the the really sweet thing about a book like that is that it doesn't end. Like it, it kind of in a correspondence way. And it's so right that a book based around a typewriter lives on in the letters of people who read it and then send me the most touching things. I mean, just this morning, Annabelle, as I talked to you, this guy, he says, I've got a mate from London sent me a book and he's lost the love of his life. and, And he just wanted me to know that he appreciated the calls that I gave to him. And he sent me your book and as a thank you. And You know, and then just endless, it's really like I might get five a day of just really deep stuff, Annabelle, and and I find that so beautiful. But there is a point where you go, I can't, I really don't have the capacity to be the listener that I need to be for that type of stuff, you know. So it's sort of, you've got to really be able to remember, oh man, don't even get me started, Annabelle, on the whole situation of when I'm talking to my wife, right? After sort of a day like that out on the corner, and then you come home and she's talking to me, right? Like she needs me to be the listener. And then see my my eyes glaze over because some strangers on the street got the best of me or got the best of my listening, you know? And that's been a... That's been a flaw in my makeup for about 20 years. And I really try and work on that. So, like, when, you know, this woman who is the love of my life and deserves every bit of that, you know, who you're trying to sort of be a lot better for. And, but you got all this ambition and you got all these stories and these things you want to tell. And you got all this stuff going through your head. And I've got these two girls, too, who are 14 and 12, and they're really good for that. They're really good for like, um, it's like, oh, hey, Dad, okay, you don't need to tell us your stories. And all you need to do for us is listen as we tell you how much we love Tom Holland, you know. And I'm like, cool, let's Same talk here. about Tom Holland for a bit, right? We you all know, love and, him. Yeah, right, Yeah, and you? Uh, and Michael B. Jordan or something. It's like, let's go watch Creed. And, you know, and it's just like the power of the sanctuary. So the place, it's hilarious, right, that, you know, I wanted to get out of the house and get, you know, cooped up. Well, the thing that saves you is the coop, you know, and and that's Mm. the great thing about the interesting thing about COVID. The very thing that will get us through is the one, two, three, four, five people in our life that we come home to every day.
0: Yeah. I want to know, have your daughters read the book? This is just out of curiosity.
3: Oh, it's a great question. My daughter, Beth, is reading it as we speak. It's so funny you say that. And She came out and she goes, Dad, I just read your letter to Kath and I'm crying and it was so... (laughs) I get so touched and it's like the book I can't wait for them to read is Boy Swallows Universe because that's kind of about their grandma and and about, you know, about their old man and about their granddad. But it's dark as hell and it's filled with sea bombs and, you know, it's pretty sort of rough as guts, that book. But this Love Stories book, like, it's just so good for the soul, for them. Like, I... I really hope they read that one, and then maybe go backwards as they get older. Maybe all Ashramers' guys, and then Boy Swallows Universe. And by the time they're like eighteen, but uh, there is something so special, Annabelle, when they do take it on, and you feel like far out. I've cracked their pop culture world. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> you know they're all Taylor Swift. They're just nothing but Taylor Swift. And and if I can match it with Tay Tay, then um, I just feel so proud. You know, to occupy a bit of their time and. For them to be reading my books, I mean, you know, zero to 20 of my years were the story of Boy Swallows Universe, which was just a lot of dark stuff and a lot of pretty horrible stuff that actually doesn't have the ending that Boy Swallows Universe has with the happy ending. Real life is not like that. Real life is just pretty sad, but 20 to 40 for me, it was those girls, you know, and it was my wife and that's the thing that saves you, you know. It was that sort of – it was that world of of Taylor Swift that becomes sacred to me, you know, and so it's so cool that I can blend both of those things now.
0: And it's a beautiful thing though that they can read your work because as you said, you might not always be able to – be the most engaged, especially when you're writing something like Love Stories that takes a lot of your
3: energy? Oh, Annabelle, I promise you, like there was a moment I remember writing Um, even, yeah, and Love Stories was the same. And I say it to my wife, I was like, I promise you'll understand when it's finished, like I promise. So I remember writing, Voice Boys the Boys Universe was really interesting in that regard because it was such a, I was working full-time, my wife was working full-time and we were just really busy. The kids were young and I was ducking down between 8 and 10 at night and just saying to my wife, I don't know what this is going to be, this thing, but I think it could be something really important and it feels really good to write it. And she had to have so much faith in me because I devoted like a year of doing that, like a year of nights at eight till 10. That is such a selfish thing to do. But I just remember that just going, please believe it. Like, I think it could be something, sweetie. And she believed it, you know, and it was so cool. And then it's the same with every book. The kids are like, what are you doing, dad? And I, I try and keep the genie in the bottle as long as I can. And sometimes that even means like not communicating fully with the three people you care about most about what the hell you've been doing for the past six hours. But it's so wonderful when the finished product comes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Trent, back to love stories very quickly because I watched an interview that you did with Christine Midap, who you've worked with for many years now. And she told you that you have this extraordinary power of observation and that you see things in people that they might not necessarily see in themselves. Which is a very, very lovely and a very, very true thing to say. Oh. But it made me wonder about the people that you wrote about in this book. You did touch on some of the responses near the end of the book. Yeah. But I wonder if anyone was, I guess, pleasantly surprised on your take on their love stories oh. after reading it through your eyes.
3: Oh, that's so beautiful! That, what a Annabelle! That's a great question. Thanks for that cool question. Um, <laughs> all of the longer stories were really worked with the with the people who were in them, and so you know, sent every story to them and just go, "Hey, please check through this. Does this look all correct to you? Have I got this right?" And then the feedback every time was, "Trent, that is so cool. The way." It's factual, but it's putting it up on a pedestal. Like it's turning the ordinary into the extraordinary. And I loved doing that with those stories and showing those people who told me those stories that that is perfection. That is an imperfect perfection. And that is life, you know, and and your story is sacred. Like that's as good as Tolkien, you know, that is as good as Hemingway because that's the thing that happened to you. That's just the story of my life. Like me turning, you know, it's me turning all that stuff in the 1980s into a book like Boy Swallows Universe. It's the same things my brothers said when they read that book. They went, not far out, Trent. It's amazing you saw it through your eyes, through your freaking rose-colored eyes. But it's even more than that. It's sort of rainbow-colored eyes. You're just seeing it glittering, you know, and you're trying to find that. And it was a thrill to take someone who talks about, you're watching a bloke, a postman, he's a retired postman, talking about how much, just an ordinary bloke talking about how much he adores his wife for 50 years. You can feel that. That's electrifying when someone goes deep like that. And then I'm trying to sort of then bring that level of love that person has and put that on the page and and fill it with the electricity that you can sort of feel in the conversation. But that's all detail. And that's why all through that book, there's all these moments where like I'm looking at paddle pop rappers or I'm looking at a spinning McDonald's lid Because that's just nothing, right? That's just moments in time. But all of those moments in time are perfect. That is the perfection of a day. And just like all of the imperfections in a love story is what makes where you are right now perfect. Even if that's a tragic perfection. I sort of love that. And and there's a majesty to that. There's a majesty in the mundanity.
0: Trent, my final question is maybe an impossible one to answer, but I'm going to ask it.
3: Go for it.
0: I want to know if you have not a favourite because it's probably like picking your favourite child,
3: it's impossible,
0: (laughs) but do you have maybe a most memorable love story from the book or one that you maybe found almost wrote itself in a way?
3: Oh, totally. And Annabelle, your questions are just brilliant. And thank you so much. It's so cool talking oh, to you. you. Um, <laughs> no, it's like, you know, I know that thing from a journal thing, you know, it's just, it's, I just get so touched. Anyway, anyway, there's a story called Wide Expanse of Water every day for this project. Like, and I did it for about, I was out on that street, all told, like for about sort of three months, tapping people on the shoulder, but as well as like, you know, weeks sitting on that corner. I'd park my car in South Bank because it had $17 car parking and I'd lug a table, the typewriter, two chairs, my sign. It was just, it got to be a lot of stuff. And I'm lugging all this stuff to my corner each day. And I'd, I'd pass this same woman at the same time at about 8.30 in the morning. And she'd be just like halfway through her day because she was a stop-go woman, right, on a, on a construction site who these people were paving the road outside the Queensland Museum. She would have a durry at the exact spot underneath Victoria Bridge in Brisbane, at the same time, she'd have a smoker at the same time every day. I kept on passing her and she'd be staring out at the Brisbane River at this wide expanse of water. And I, she just looked, I don't know, interesting. And I'd, I'd be lugging my stuff past her and I just stopped one day and I just said, I'm sorry to interrupt. My name's Trent Dalton. I'm writing this book called Love Stories. I'm sitting on the corner up there and I'm just asking strangers love stories and I'm just wondering if you, you had a love story. She takes a drag of a cigarette and she goes, I will tell you a story in the time it takes for me to smoke this cigarette because the minute this cigarette's done, I've got to go back to work, right? And uh, so she starts and she says, I came to this city on January 10, 2011, and that was the day of Brisbane's great flood, probably the most dramatic day in Brisbane's history. She said, I came from New Zealand. I flew in and the flipping city was in chaos. The waters were rising and she came, right? She says, I came to this city because I was running away from something and she didn't say what it was, but it was dangerous, right? I just got the sense and she was very careful about how she sort of phrased it. But she said, I was broken and I was running away from something dangerous. And I came to this city and I found this city broken and I found danger in this city. And then, you know, what happened? She says, she's telling this story, sucking on the dairy. And she's like, then i watched this city fix itself. I watched the people of Brisbane come out and we came out with our mud buckets and our gurneys and our brooms and, you know, strangers helping strangers. This woman, total stranger to to Brisbane, first time in Brisbane, joins our sacred thing that we call the Mud Army, which is this collection of 20,000 strangers who got together after the flood and cleaned up everybody's houses, total strangers cleaning strangers' houses. She joined that army and she said it was the most fulfilling heart-mending thing I could have done and she said I fixed myself as this city fixed this self so my love story is for this city and I was so deeply moved by the way she said that she said you don't have to love a human being you don't have to love a family member you can just love a place and have that place heal you and she turns to this river she's like this freaking river She's like, look at this river. It's so ugly. And it's like the Brisbane River isn't the fanciest, prettiest, most sparkling river on earth. And I go, hey, do you mind if I get your name? You know, I'd just love to put your name in this story. And she says, you can't have my last name because it's, you know, this the thing I'm running away from. I, I can't tell you. And she said, you can have my first name. And I said, well, what's your first name? And She goes, my first name's Moana. And I'm like, you know, obviously like seen the movie and, you know, I just go, that's such a beautiful name. And I'm like, what, what does Moana mean? I had a vague idea. And she's like, it's water. It's, it's a wide expanse of water. She looks out to the river. I'm like, holy smoke. And I just got chills. And I won't spoil the ending of the book, but she comes back, Moana, you know, at the end. And you would know Annabelle, but I won't say it. But I wanted to come full circle with Moana and, um, and show her how much the city loves her back. You know, this is the thing about doing these things that are just wild ideas and make no sense. And then they make perfect sense when you're sitting with a woman like Moana having a Winnie Blue by the Brisbane River, and you just feel alive, man. You just feel so alive. So thanks for the cool question, Annabelle. I love it. It's (laughs) totally, totally possible to answer, and it's Moana hands down.
0: I don't think you need me to tell you how much of an incredible writer you are, but honestly... Thank you for writing a book that I think came at a much-needed time for so many readers. Like, it truly was like a big, warm hug. So thank you for, for joining me.
3: Oh, Annabelle, thanks for having me. And, you know, I haven't been able to do that Yeah, you know, I am a bit of a hugger, as the story go, goes into, and uh, I'm so glad you say that it's a hug. It's like me just, okay, that's the hug that I couldn't give everyone for two years then, <laughs> that's it. Annabelle, you're the best. Thanks for having me. Hey, this has been great.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the January instalment of the Shameless Book Club. Next month, we are very excited to be delving into the debut novel from Frances Char called If I Had Your Face. Yep, this is the book Zara read over the summer break and recommended it on Shameless, to which Mish demanded we do it for book club, and alas, we're here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I got my way. If I Had Your Face is a novel set in contemporary Seoul, Korea, about four young women making their way in a world defined by impossibly high standards of beauty, secret room salons catering to wealthy men, strict social hierarchies, and K-pop fan mania.
2: It was named one of the best books of the year by Time Magazine, NPR, BBC, and Esquire, and is being translated into 11 languages not to mention it's already in development as a tv series we cannot wait to dive into it even though i've kind of already (laughs) dived into it but i can't wait to talk about it with you guys in the meantime as always we are on instagram at the shameless book club can't wait guys yeah i cannot wait Thank you so much
1: for listening, everyone. And Annabelle, bloody good job interviewing Trent Dalton. What a Cree highlight. That is so cool. I know. It was so much fun. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye.